Good day, it's Tuesday, it's sportsstars.ie and after a long break we are back on the field of play we are back doing Sports Stars Camogie and we are looking forward to a new season yes, there's things to talk about, we'll get to that in a moment, but we're going to start the show off in a positive light, I'm Darren Kelly I'm delighted to welcome my partner in crime for this season, Camogie commentator all-star presenter and he'll be with us every Monday, of course I'm talking about Killian Whelan and first Killian welcome to the team here in Sports Stars Thanks very much, uh, Darren. Uh, it's great to be able to join an All-Ireland winning team. Yes, indeed, which was fantastic. Like It feels so long ago when you think about it mm. because we were talking for the uh, Camogie Association Awards in honour. We were so delighted to get as well. We still thought it might be a few more weeks. might be a few more weeks. <laughs> but but we're there now. We're going to talk about the issue in a moment. First, uh, uh, I want to say a big shout out to Hannah Shields from Clondorf Camogie Club in Down. If you're looking at us on the uh, social media pages or the website, you'll see we have a new Sports Stars Camogie logo and that is from Hannah Shields in Clondorf. They've given us permission to use it an excellent picture and the colours of yellow and white are club as well and we will have that throughout the season uh, later on we'll be talking about a couple of games Kilkenny against Dublin in Division 1 of the National League and Antrim against Down repeat of the All-Ireland Intermediate Final in Division 2 and we have two special guests with us we'll be talking to underage coach Brian Brophy from Luke and Sarsfields in Dublin he's also involved with Kilkenny about how the current fixtures calendar is affecting underage he'll also give us his thoughts in Kilkenny in Dublin well we we learned a bit ourselves with this interview. Killian was talking to Intercounty referee Ray Kelly, who gives a good insight into the new rules coming into the upcoming league and the championship as well. Listen to that because you'll pick things up. And I have a funny feeling some counties and clubs will pick up some information as well. But Killian, before that, we'll go to the main talking points. First, let's start in the positive. We are recording on Monday. This podcast is going out Tuesday. But Jack Chambers, TD, Minister of State for Sport, he's like Santa Claus at the moment. He's oh, yeah. coming out with good news. Finally, hopefully it happens now. Finally, female intercounty players are going to receive equal funding from the government. Yeah, absolutely. Great news. And uh, just as I said, we picked up on it there during the afternoon when it was come out, but he is like Santa Claus at the moment. Jack is, uh, I suppose, there's uh, all sorts of favouritism around the government at the moment with uh, the lockdowns and everything coming to some kind of conclusion. And now Jack all of a sudden has thrown out the little bit of uh, uh, donuts as well, you know, to, to everybody. But yeah, God, look, this should have been done years ago, Darren. There's no question about it. But uh, yeah, it's good to see that uh, obviously there's been some element of sustained pressure. And I think also as well, I was the, the, the publicity and promotion and everything that the, the ladies games have been getting in recent years and uh, I think maybe you know it, it took a pandemic it's a sad thing to say but it took a pandemic and maybe the, the, the fact that the ladies games were in the shop window possibly that little bit more uh, because of all the streaming or all the promotion or whatever it was maybe around it that uh, you know somebody decided oh, look this is not fair anymore and something has to be done about it you just hope it's not an election promise of some sorts and uh, we don't don't see anything this side of the next election or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, Jack Chambers was willingly throwing it around today. So hopefully uh, that's going to follow through. I've always said, I understand sponsors, I understand marketing, and I understand that the men's game is always going to get more overall. At the moment, the gap is closing, but I could never tolerate this coming from government level, whether it's something to do with the way the organisations are making a presentation or not. It should be 50-50 down the middle. It's a small at the end of the day, but it's crucial for these players who give up so much time and often give up work to entertain us every week. Absolutely. Like, and, and I'm just thinking of one in particular. I, I'm thinking of Neve Mallon, who travelled from Galway to Down to be regularly at training. And uh, who's to say she's not doing the same as uh, any one of the guys are for any one of the counties? You know, like, uh, but she, the difference was she was getting nothing for it. And that's the scenario that some of these uh, uh, female players that we have in this country who are, as you said, entertaining us week in, week out, are uh, doing it for just purely the love of the game and getting no retribution for it. And look, you've just hope now that that will be rectified and as you mentioned though once that maybe is recognized Darren the fact is then that sponsors might decide okay this is now reputable it's been recognized at government level we maybe will throw our shoulder to the wheel with it and it gets a little bit of backing it's a sad state of affairs to think that maybe that has to happen but you know that's maybe what might encourage then others to come on board and uh, once that all starts to happen you, we, we've seen an increase in promotion as it, as it already is but you just think maybe where could this be in five years time it, it, it could really really um, be a real shot in the arm for lady sport and uh, especially obviously ladies GA we certainly hope it's the first of many as well that's the positive news let's go to the talking point you said five years time where are we in five days time of course we should say first we're recording this on Monday 
if something bad happens Tuesday, we've a lot to listen to on the show anyway. So stick with us anyway because we've guests mm. coming up. But Killian, uh, the, the whole conversation, the fixtures, calendar, the intercounty players are threatening to boycott the league. Uh, club players want to play in the summer. Everybody wants to play in the summer. That's understandable. I feel myself this is a situation that could have been dealt with an awful lot better and it should have been dealt with months ago. Yeah, it could have been approached a, a lot differently. And but I, I just have I have to feel for both sides, I think, because this is not defending anybody or trying to throw weight behind anybody. But I, I would obviously know from previous years and everything like that, the, the, the current president of Camogie Association, and I would understand that Hilda Breslin has made it her plan that the club player will be looked after as much as the inter-county player. And I think that's fair enough. I, I realise that obviously the inter-county player is at the, at the top echelons, but she feels that the club player has to be accommodated. And one of the things that she mentioned when she was coming in was that the 2020 championships would be brought to a conclusion on the club basis and she promised those clubs that that's what would happen. I just think then that maybe if it just to how ultimately maybe communication about it or how it ultimately was approached it, it just didn't necessarily work out. I, I think it could have been approached better and maybe rather than you know it's uh, seen as a, maybe a black mark against Hilda in some ways it might be then just seen as a bit of a stumbling block that it wasn't I don't know when it got to the arc Corliss section or whatever that maybe you know there seemed to be a certain amount of support there uh, Darren or it wouldn't have been pushed to the level that it was but somehow there was some disconnect somewhere that there wasn't a feeling on the ground from what maybe the players might think and that this was going to be thought that this would work out I can though see merits in what she was trying to do also that she was kind of you know clearing a window for club players in the summer and then that the inter-county would uh, start up and it would have had on the calendar you'd imagine Darren there was no other inter-county action up against it it was going to get column inches and it was going to get probably TV radio coverage and, and streaming coverage and whatever and I could see the mer- merit in maybe that as well however uh, I just think the way it probably was approached upset people and it rankled people and then when you get that when they maybe weren't fully sure of what was going on it kind of was you know let's circle the wagons uh, when, when you come to the players point of view you're fed up with this we're not going to be pushed around and uh, you come to this scenario and then the problem is though Darren how does that look then when players decide right if we don't get what we want we're going to withdraw uh, from the league situation and I don't think that's great to have on board either and there's been two PR disasters in some ways with regards to how it's ultimately been handled but I would have to kind of have a talk with the GPA and everything like that just maybe some of the information that they're given is a little bit one-sided too that I just think that there should have been this negotiation should have taken place with all the uh, the shareholders in the room uh, or the stakeholders in the room I should say and maybe it could have been ironed out that little bit more because I just feel that obviously the, the GPA are going to be on the side of the players and I just think that maybe the information that they're putting out there is trying to show favouritism to the players whereas I'm not sure they've really delved into what the plan was if you understand me but look it could have been done with an awful lot better and uh, I would imagine Hilda and anybody else in, in, in the Camogie Association are in this scenario will be hoping look let's get the uh, games up and running and maybe Maybe when, as we're going forward, we need to maybe just work this out a little bit better. I do think she's the kind of president, though. Um, she gave a very good interview, and I remember an awful lot of inter-county players about six weeks ago uh, saying how how great some of the comments that she made, and it was great to hear, you know, this kind of breath of fresh air and whatever. She may have gone back a notch with one or two of them because of, of this scenario, but uh, I think she would be a lady that would be quite strong to kind of, uh, you know, going forward that this th- th- there'll be serious improvements made, I would feel. Hilda is the president at the moment and no doubt she's going to get some criticism from some quarters as well and plaudits from other quarters too. People are on different sides of it. I've already tweeted where I think of it but we're having a balanced debate on this. Like last, the thing is they couldn't make a decision in regards to clubs until the government gave the go-ahead but the thing is the government gave the go-ahead on a Thursday and suddenly things seem to be rushed out on a Friday where, and the LGFA in the same boat as well when original calendars came out in January and no split season was there there was a lot of talk there was a lot of criticism there was a lot of liking about it too I thought that's when the conversation should have been taking place because you've mentioned the inter-county players and they've had their say in the matter now as well. Obviously, it's gone back to the clubs where it should have been in the first place, but this is what should have been done before we had this because somebody's going to get rankled now. And, you know, we'll talk about exactly what it means in a moment, but, you know, this is not the publicity that Camogie wants to be having less than a week out from the start of competitive action. No, because when you look at it, 
I don't want to compare both, Darren, but when you look at it with regards to the LGFA, they seem to be in a good a good space. You know, that uh, they came out with the split season. They're relatively, uh, everyone is happy with them. They're, they're about to get up and running and uh, it feels now like the uh, the Camogie Association are gone two steps back and when maybe all boats should be lifting at the same time and everyone's anxious to get back out into the field. Um, now, we're, we're at a stage, imagine we're due to play matches on Saturday afternoon at two o'clock in Parky Cueve and up in Athen Roy and we're not sure that those games are going to happen and that shouldn't be happening in a, in the inter-county game there's no question about it to have doubts about it at all it's not good when you're looking for publicity a week in from it it's really some people would feel maybe this association likes having bad publicity because at least it's some kind of publicity I don't know but I, I would think that here we are on, on Tuesday talking about this and uh, we're trying to get ready for Saturday not knowing if those games are going to actually happen Communication between the two organisations, it's called Spade Spade, leaves an awful lot to be desired anyway. The Camogie are getting it this time as a ball to the LGFA, mm. but it creates the dual player issue. And some people will jump straight away about intercounty dual players. Dead. I'm not talking about intercounty dual player. We could have players the pick between intercounty football and club Camogie or vice versa as mm. well. That's like every intercounty player plays the other code for their club or 90% of them anyway. And that's going to cause much more problems down the line. It is because there's no point coming out at your Congress and saying that you back the dual player and then, you know, it, it all rankling then a couple of uh, days later when it seems that you're actually not. And now Camogie Association might say, well, that's not their fault. They said they were back in the dual player. The other association that's maybe in the, in the conversation decides to do something different. They have to be minding their own shop and so forth, Darren. But, you know, realistically, if you're trying to encourage people to play the sports, ultimately, I think, you know, the, the, the ladies' games need to be in negotiation with each other. And we know that's not happening. To... to, to how would I put it? To great extent, anyway. It probably is on certain quarters, but it's they're their own separate entities, and I understand that. But this is where, you know, as Hilda, as others have talked about, as even previous GA presidents have talked about, that integration needs to take place. And I think if you had one sole calendar and we all were able to follow it then, and uh, everyone was following the same boat, and you knew one weekend was LG Fair, one weekend was the men's, or one weekend was the Camogie, whatever, that's the way forward. But I don't know when we're going to get to that stage because there seems to be so much has to happen to get all those people into one room and uh, to be able to work it out. Maybe the steps still need to be taken, but this publicity, as you mentioned, is not good ultimately. I think it needs to be pointed out, Club Camogie will take place during the summer, regardless of what happens. It just won't be championship. Yeah. But there's one issue I do want to bring up before we wrap up, a bit of concern that the 2020 AIB All-Ireland Club Championship, with one option, it's in. With the other option, it's not. Like, as far as I'm concerned, and correct me if you think I'm wrong here, it should be either all in or not in either of them at all. I don't think this should be a factor in whatever way people vote. Yeah, that's, and like, what does that say to the clubs who've been training away, I would imagine, um, you know, individually locked down to all of a sudden be told then that this is not going to happen. I, I can't I can't marry that at all, that, uh, you know, that let's say, for example, players uh, in other counties will decide whether I get to play in my All-Ireland semi-final or whatever, you know, and uh, and there are some cases that obviously provincial competition uh, concluding as well. So that rankles with me, definitely. I agree with you wholeheartedly there. And, but then obviously the, it creates an issue where we're going to be able to put it. But a promise has been made. And as I said, I don't agree that it should be, uh, if you go with A, it's in it. If it's in, it's not in B. That's going to dishearten an awful lot of club players, especially, you know, those who might be qualifying for those finals, provincial series and All-Ireland series for the first time. And that has to be looked at. And I don't agree. I, and I agree with you. It shouldn't be an either or situation here. It's a podcast in its own discussing this. Yeah. We'll see how things, <laughs> how things pan out. Of course, the Results might be out by the time this goes out. And what way it go? We have the big match on uh, Thursday. We might discuss it a bit more as well. We better move on, Killian. There's so much to go through. Of course, we've talked about funding. We've talked about uh, the split season. Of course, there's new laws in the game as well. And before um, we hear from Intercounty referee Ray Kelly, uh, they, they were in experimentally last year. Now they're permanent. Positive development for the game? 
Absolutely. I think they added a whole lot to uh, to the game uh, to me. Yeah, and you know, something unique as well, the quick free. That that scenario that that to me is a uh, uh, you know, something unique now in a sense to Camogie and it's uh, as long you know, it can be worked very very well. I think it's good to see the 20 meter and the penalty from the 20 meter line and a one on one situation and uh, you know, we'll we'll hear from Ray about some of the uh, intricacies of that that uh, maybe some counties could exploit in some cases, but you know, the dropping of the hurley, the hand pass goal to me, you know, it, it all improves the skill of the game. Uh, the dropping of the hurley is the one that's the most difficult, as again, you'll hear from Ray come, going forward. But, um, uh, you know, that's that's probably a tight quarters. It's going to be very, very hard for a referee, I think, to keep an eye on. But it's something that obviously has to be marshaled. And hopefully in time, it'll uh, bed itself in and bed itself down in that in that sense. But no, I think those rules changes. It was great to see them trialed. I know they were probably rushed in some way to get them trialed, but it, it worked and players took to them and I, I think it improved the game so it's great to see them in There's a lot to learn here as well it's a positive development for the game as Killian said and earlier on Killian caught up with inter-county referee Ray Kelly who gave us a full insight into the new rules and you'll hear that interview after the break I like listening to sports dads because he has famous celebrities and I guess listen to him Darren Kelly. We're joined now to uh, look ahead to the Camogie season, obviously, and what's ahead. But uh, Ray Kelly, Camogie inter-county referee, is with us because, uh, Ray, obviously, a lot of chat was about the rules that were introduced last year on a trial basis. And uh, thankfully, a Congress, uh, and I would say thankfully, because I think those five rules that were introduced on a trial basis last year, for me, worked. And uh, we're, we're, I was glad to see that they were introduced on a, on a full-time basis. As a referee, how do you feel about them? Yeah, look, I suppose as referees' discussions that we've been having over the last couple of months and that, things seem to be going very well with them. Seem to be letting the game flow a lot freely. Um, referees seem to be very impressed with the rules. It gives them that little bit more leniency to kind of let the game flow a bit better. And, you know, the advantage rule is there that if anything does go wrong, they can have put the hand up for the advantage and recall anything back if they ever need to call back and that. So I think in the grand scheme of things, yeah, it's worked out great. Players seem very happy with it. Minders seem very happy with it. And referees definitely seem very happy with it. Do you think now it's made, in some cases, has it made your job a little bit easier in some, in some quarters? Yeah, look, I suppose it has. Each referee's style is different. That's the only thing that I find that is different to the, to the rules that we have. Like, like every referee's view is different. Like if, if one referee could be closer to play it than the other or, you know, the, the, the angle of the challenge might be different than that. So every referee's interpretation is obviously going to be different no matter what games we do. That's why I always said that I disagree with people often say to me, would it be better to have two referees on the pitch? No, it wouldn't be better to have two referees on the pitch because each referee's style of refereeing is different. Mm. Their challenge, what they, what they perceive to be a foul and what another referee perceives to be a foul is two totally different fouls like, you know. Mm. So I, that's why I never dis, I never agree with two referees on the pitch because every, every referee has their own style. Every referee seems to be happy with it it's benefiting them very well they seem to be able to let that game flow that little bit better there's no stop starting in it it's giving them that bit of power that they can kind of let it I know a lot of people don't like saying it but go back to kind of like hurling rules in a sense that they can follow the game more freely because they can understand the hurling rules a lot better and now that the camogie is revolving around the hurling it seems to be that little bit better to watch and view and I'm sure the viewers at home are thinking the same thing as well like I'm just thinking of one rule in particular uh, the quick free that can be taken that that obviously is something a referee has to adjust to now you know because the movement in, in, in the Camogie matches as uh, I would have experienced obviously at the tail end of last year the speed of the game has definitely picked up because of that so I would imagine it could catch a couple of referees out it, no, it definitely will without doubt it will because a lot of referees again if you have a fast-paced game and you have a player who is expecting to get the foul, she'll be ready to get up straight away off the, off the grass, have that ball in her hand. She pokes it up. And like women nowadays can poke the ball as far as any man can. And it's gone 60, 70 yards down the length of the pitch and you're struggling to get there in time. And, and then obviously there could be a score coming from it. It could be a penalty. It could be a goal chance, whatever comes from it. But we've got to be on that ball. As soon as we blow that whistle, we've got to be gone. You're kind of hoping that she's taking it from the right place that she's behind the far, her own 45-metre line because that's the thing that catches a lot of the girls out. They get fouled in their back line and they're past the 45-metre line and sometimes they think they can still take the quick free, but it's not. It's behind the 45-metre line and not past it. 
Yeah, and that's uh, obviously an important uh, thing to uh, stipulate now going into the league and the championship this year that it is inside your your your, your forty five. But I I felt that the you know the players in credit to them last year in in tri- in trialing these obviously Ray you know that was one that seemed to really take off. I think there was one or two occasions I may have seen the players maybe stopped or something like that. But it it uh, to me it was a rule that worked very very quickly and very efficiently. Yeah, it did. Like like I suppose again it's it's to the panel of players that are there, that the, the more experienced players will know how to use that rule quite effective. Like, you know what I mean? When you have the new in, new inter-county guards kind of breeding into the team there, they're probably a bit nervous and a bit unsure of what way to play it. So they're probably waiting on the senior, more senior players to act on it a bit quicker. Like, you know, so some guards will take it a lot quicker than others. And they also have to remember that it's only on a personal foul on a player and not a technical foul. So it must be a personal foul on that player involved in, and it must be her to take it only, and she can't just throw the ball up for another defender and get her to take it. So it must be taken by the person that's fouled. So that's the the, the, the free from the hand. Quickly, the quick puck out. Uh, again, it's, a, it's something else that, you know, as a referee, you have to be tuned into players now. Uh, as soon as a ball is, uh, they feel, yeah, it's gone between the posts, they're ready and, and willing to go. So again, you know, referees have to be quite tuned into this. Yeah, so we've had a good discussion about this because there's two scenarios there we have to take into account. One is a wide ball and the other one is a score. Basically, when you're writing a score down, you could be standing on the 20-metre line if it's a free or you could be standing 45-metre line if it's, if it's going over the bar from play. Like So by the time you take your notebook out of your pocket, write the score down, that play ball could be back out in play and gone 20, 30 yards past you. So what we've kind of done is we've kind of spoke to the goalkeepers um, before matches and said basically that if it's a wide ball go ahead and take the puck out as quick as you like but if it's a score if it's a score just to give the referees a couple of seconds just to get the, the, the score written down because it could be a disadvantage to the team because mm. if the keeper takes a quick puck out and you're still writing the score down all of a sudden you're 20-30 metres behind play the ball's going up to the full forward line you're still 50 metres behind play now because you're only catching up and there could be a penalty that you've missed because you're not close enough to see it. Hmm. So it could end up being a disadvantage to some teams by taking the quick puck out and a referee without being there to see the foul. There would be a free or a penalty. So that's why we always say to them, if you just give us a couple of seconds to write it down, to score, and then go ahead and take it. And again, the ball can't be between the posts. The ball has to be outside the net. So they can't have a ball up their score ready to go like a tennis player does. Yeah, or they yeah, can't yeah, have yeah. the ball in, in the net. It has to be outside the net altogether. That explains the, the element there with the quick puck out. And uh, interesting to see, as you mentioned there, as I said, that, uh, you know, you'd be allowed the opportunity to take the score. Ray, what do you feel about the, the whole element then of the, the deliberate dropping and the hurley and then the hand pass uh, goal, what what all that has done? There, there was obviously, that was probably the most contentious one, really, the dropping of the hurley. You know, referees were fairly on top of it, I would have felt, in the try matches. I saw a lot of a lot of girls try to argue their way out of it in some, in some cases. Uh, but to me, it's probably w- the one rule that is taken a little bit of adjusting to, do you think? Yeah, this is probably my worst rule, catch. At the start of the, I think I did one of the first matches there last year for the trial rules down in Cork there. And it was the hardest one for me to catch was the dropping of the hurl. And I suppose players are getting very clever now because in the challenge, they're actually, I don't know if they're being taught it or if they're just doing it instantly, but it's just, they're pulling the hurl out of the, out of the opponent's hands and making it look like it was dropped. Mm-hmm. So us as referees have to determine what is a deliberate drop, what is an accidental drop, and what is a pull out of hand. And you kind of you yeah. kind of have to get into it. You kind of have to. We have a twenty meter circle that we kind of work to for getting as close to the ball as we can and try and judge the tackles as we see them. So we're always trying to get into a place where we can see what's going on in the, in the rope. Like it's very hard as a referee to try and make that call. Did she deliberately drop the hurl? Did someone pull it over hand? Was it knocked out in a challenge accidentally? So you kind of have to be, I won't say lenient, but you have to be sure that you're blowing the whistle for the correct foul. And if you're not sure, then you you tend not to blow because it's unfair if you give a foul away when it wasn't a foul. So Mm. you've got to be 100% sure on that. And that's the one I think a lot of referees are struggling to adjust themselves to because if you're not close enough to play again, it's very hard for you to see what's going on. So you have to be up close to see this drop it a hurl or whatever it is like nine times out of ten you will get it right but there could be that one contentious decision which could lead to a free in and a score or it could lead to 
you know, a drop it, the ball dropping inside in, into the square and someone's getting a goal out of it or something like that. Do you know what I mean? So you got to be 100% sure, especially up the other end of the pitch, you got to be sure. Like The only thing I would think, though, probably what has helped in a way, Ray, then is if it comes for a goal opportunity, is that you can't hand pass the goal anymore. So I suppose players had got into have a drop the hurl and hand pass the ball as well. So at least that uh, anomaly has been taken out of it in some cases that you're not then in the contentious issue 10 metres out from the goal line, let's say. Some girls still try and do it, like you know. Yeah, what I mean? yeah. <laughs> but the thing, the thing is, if the ball strikes the goalkeeper and mm. then goes into the net from the hand pass, mm. then it passes an own goal, so the goal stands. So it's only if the ball is hand passed into the net cleanly with nobody else touching it, then it's disallowed. But if it hits off any defender, goalkeeper, uh, anything like that, then it's a class as an own goal and still counts. So players are now getting clever and trying to trying to deflect it off a keeper. What about hitting the ground, Ray? No, if it hits the ground, it's it's a free out. She couldn't deliberately hand pass it to the ground to bounce to the net kind of thing. That's a foul. That's a foul, yeah. Okay. That's a foul, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. a foul. It must hit a defender and go in. So deflect off, and even if it deflects off the post, it's still a, it's still a no goal. Okay. Right. Well, that's the, the hand pass goal, which I, I have to say, I think has uh, improved the spectacle of the game because oh, now, absolutely. you know, you're looking at the skilled players taking the, 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 the right goal opportunities. Yeah, like like you see a lot of players now striking the ball from 20 metres out going for goal rather than trying to run in and hand pass it in. They're actually taking strikes now from 20, 30 metres out and it's great spectacle when it goes top corner or across the keeper and that it actually looks really, really well. Um, and obviously for television purposes, it really gives them a lift as well. Like Last one then, uh, ultimately is the penalty the tw- and the 20 metre free. The, this obviously is something then again, we get to see the clean strike. We got to see a lovely strike in the All-Ireland final with Denise Gall. And uh, again, you know, a rule closer obviously to the men's scenario and uh, a, a one-on-one situation. And again, it's, it's obviously encouraging the ability to rightly strike a ball, power behind it, whatever, from 20 metres out. And, uh, you know, as I said, I repeat myself now with the All-Ireland final, we got to see a great goal from it. Yeah, it was always a bit of a disadvantage to the attacking player if they were going clean on goal and they were deliberately taken down because the defending team knew that they had three players on the team on the team that could stand on the line and save a penalty nine times out of ten they would. Like, you know, because 20 metres out is a long distance when you've got three players on the line. Mm. Now that it's one-on-one, it's making them think now about their challenges in the box that they like the likes of Denise Gall who can you know strike a penalty very well as we all seen like they don't want to give the penalties away anymore so it, it again it makes it challenging in the back line more careful and then they know that this, this striking at a ball is great to see as well especially when it's one on one it's always very good for a uh, the player's ability and a boost for the team basically that they know if they get a penalty that they have a great player in Denise Gall or whoever the penalty takers are in each team that they'll have a great chance of getting a three-point head start there. And finally as well something you picked out to me we've had a chat about this already and I'm wondering now uh, will we see any of it in the in the upcoming couple of weeks the 20 metre free there is a, a little stipulation in the rules that maybe some players or some counties wouldn't even be aware of. Yeah, this is what probably one of my rules that I, I keep talking to players and managers about. I've done a couple of seminars with teams over the last couple of months and well, not this with the COVID and that, like, you know, but mm. pre-COVID. And even last year, I always go down and I do a training session with teams and I'd referee a match there. And then after the match, then I talk to them and explain to them. And the funny thing with, with Camogie is, in Camogie, you don't have to be 20 metres back from a free. You only have to be back 10 metres from every free. So a lot of teams, when they're conceded 20 metre free, they're always rushing back to the line and giving a team a free shot, shot on goal. Whereas in Camogie, it's only 10 metres back. So you have to set up, you can set up a wall in front of her as much as you like, 10 players, five players, whatever you like. Um, and that takes the element of the goal strike away that they have to go for a point. And it's safer then in the last puck of a game if, if a team needs two points and you're standing on the goal line it, and I can't tell them during the match, oh, you, you can only have to be 10 metres away. So I think... Players and managers need to read some of the rules and understand them because it can benefit them very well that there's a lot of things in Camogie that players still don't know about. Mm. And I think that if they take that five or ten minutes every evening or whenever they have spare time and just read over the few little rules that are different to, to hurling and they'll see some of the differences that they can get away with or what they can't get away with. And they'd be, they'd be amazed themselves to see, see it and say, geez, I didn't know that was a rule in Camogie. Um, and another thing as well that, that a lot of teams don't know about is the sideline puck. When they're taking a sideline puck, there's actually no rule in the rule book to state that they can't make a small divot okay. and put the ball up on, on a divot. Whereas in Hurling, there's a specific rule that states you cannot make a divot for the purpose of a sideline puck. But in Camogie, there's no such rule. 
So there is rules there that a lot of teams don't know about. Yeah, and that's probably something when when you see somebody as a class striker of a sideline cut like uh, Rebecca Henley, um, yeah. and she's probably able to do it. In fairness to Rebecca, she's probably able to do it uh, without having to create a divot. But for Absolutely. somebody else, though, this could become vital. Well, it, it, it is. It, and, it, and if you have a, a Pacific sideline taker who takes all the sideline pucks, mm. like they should be getting you know, 15, 20 minutes at each training session to practice this. Because I was there the day that Rebecca took the two of them over the bar against Cork there. And it made a huge difference to the game at the moment that she, she struck the ball because they were losing at one stage. And then the two points obviously brought them back into the game. And then in the second half, she done it again. And they brought them further ahead. So it can be a huge advantage to teams if they have a great player who's able to strike that ball from the sideline. So that little bit of tougher grass for them could benefit them very much. Um, we could see a lot more of it next year and it could make an exciting game of it. Yeah, absolutely it could. I think we're going to see an awful lot more attempt to sideline cuts, I think, going forward. Uh, Ray, before we let you go, um, you know, looking at, um, you know, the season ahead now and the rules and everything like that, um, you know, are you looking forward to some fine spectacles? Um, yeah, just before you, before I speak on that one, just with the conduct or with the challenging one, you know, for the new rules where they can challenge more for the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I'd like to just rise up to them is it doesn't specifically mean that they're allowed to shoulder freely for the ball. Mm-hmm. It just means that when they're in the challenge for the ball, they can challenge harder for the ball when they're one-on-one with the players. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can't come running in from the side and drop a shoulder into them. Like, you know what I mean? That still carries a yellow card offence. And a lot of players think that because they're allowed to be a bit more physical during the match, that they're allowed to shoulder now. But no, it's not a shoulder and it's shoulder and still carries that yellow card offence. Like, so. yeah, is that though going to make it difficult as well for referees to try and judge that in, in, in lots of ways? You know, that the, the challenge for the ball, you know, how, how do you judge what was a child how close was she that can, is that going to make it again a little bit difficult for you yeah again it is going to be a little bit difficult for us until we get used to it you know what I mean like mm. a lot of girls mm. nowadays are well built to take a challenge if mm. that's the right thing to say like you know like they're they're in the they're in the gyms working out more now than ever you know what I mean so they're they're built in a way that they're well able to take a challenge and take a hit but at the same time you've got to draw the line what's fair and what's not fair. If they're challenging for the ball, by all means, yeah, challenge for the ball. But it's when they start challenging the player and taking mm. the player out of the way to get to the ball, that's where we have to draw the line and say, okay, that's where you're committing the foul. Mm. So you've got to be very specific again on what you're blowing the whistle for to make sure that you are getting the right call. But I always say, like, if it's challenge for the ball, let them challenge for the ball. If it's fair, yeah. let, them, let them go at it. It's when they start swinging wild or they start hitting the body of the, play, the opponent, that's when you've got to be strict and say, girls, None of that. That's not what it's brought in for. It's brought in for challenging more for the ball and not the player. So, yeah, like you know, we just have to be careful with it. And I find it very easy if you talk to a girl as you're running by her and just say, to her, look, be careful the way you're swinging that hurl in the challenge. It's a, bit, it's a bit dangerous. You know, and, and they listen to you then more. They'll say, sorry about that, Ray. We won't do it again. And it's very simple then. That the next time they go in, they'll, they'll, they'll won't do it. And it makes the game so much easier. But no, I am looking forward to it. Yeah, I think the season going forward, I think it's going to be very interesting, especially obviously with the new rules now being permanent. I think it's going to be very interesting. Galway will have that bit between their teeth because they want to they want to rebound very quickly and get back up on the on the higher perch, you know. And uh, Kenny will want to prove that they're not just a, a one team wonder or one year wonder uh, and come back strong again next year and try and hold on to the cup. Um, and I suppose Cork probably be down there in Cork there trying to figure out a way of beating these two teams and getting back up to where he thinks he belongs. So I suppose yeah, the, the three teams. I, I just look, there's other teams out there as well. Don't get me wrong, Tipperary are there, they're thereabouts every year, and they seem to be getting closer and closer every year. So I think this year, like the Tipperary got into a final, uh, the league final last year, and unfortunately that league final didn't uh, happen. So I'm sure that Bill Murray will want to get his team back there to the league final again and prove that he has a team there that's capable of challenging for the honours too. Like so, I think next this year is going to be it's going to be interesting, very interesting. And that was inter-county referee Ray Kelly talking to Killian earlier on. Killian, a lot to learn there. Like you and me have been covering Camogie a long time and we even are learning stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I've i travelled in the car with Ray Kelly and we've had these conversations going to matches and I still keep learning from the guy. So it just goes to show you, and I'm sure I would have been criticised a, a little bit maybe in the last couple of years when, you, when you're really getting, you're following every game that the start that maybe I was judging from a hurling point of view and getting to understand the rules. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping uh, I have to to say, Darren, that uh, you know, for the 2021 20, uh, season, that I, I'm on the top of my game, but I still learn today. You know, I still learn today. 
I'll be doing research as well before I go out about <laughs> it the weekend. Let's look at the weekend. Uh, some big games to go through. We can't go through them all. We've picked two in particular we look at. Uh, what we're looking at here in Division 1 is the All-Ireland Champions Kilkenny. Their first game since winning the All-Ireland title. They're up against Dublin. They'll be raging hot favourites. We did a poll of our listeners earlier on, Killian, and it was 100% Kilkenny to win. Is it that black and white? The only thing you will have to say on this, if it's that black and white, I, I, Brian Dowling getting his team back out together, I'm sure they were being well coached and working away on things during the lockdown and so forth. However, the man on the far side is a guy that has a proven track record at college level. And he also has had been involved in men's intercounty and obviously on the camogie fields as well. So, you know, with Adrian O'Sullivan, what he's going to bring to the Dublin setup, he'll he'll talk about it a lot. He's no he's no man, there, but he doesn't shy behind his ego anyway. He's well able to uh, uh, sell his idea of, a, of, of being a coach and, uh, and so forth. Probably a different front from now having to deal with so many uh, different clubs and uh, marry all that together as you're an inter-county manager but he's put a good backroom team together he's got Sarah Donovan in his backroom team could be a cute move on his part definitely somewhere that Dublin suffered a little bit last year even though they have quality forwards would have been I would have felt a little bit in the forward line um, so you know Sarah will add obviously I would imagine an awful lot of knowledge in the background I don't think it's a foregone conclusion I'm sure people are judging on the way the basket case I think Dublin has been in the last while um, with regards to just the chopping and changing and management's all over the place and so forth. So I would think one thing Sully is going to bring is um, a, a professionalism to the whole scenario. There's no doubt those Dublin players are going to be fit and there's going to be a knowledge there. So maybe, maybe that uh, a scenario might see itself crop up that Adrian O'Sullivan feels this is the day to catch Kilkenny. It's the first day out and maybe have a crack off it and see what would happen. I wouldn't be surprised if we got a surprise. I'm not sure it'll happen, but I think we'll see a different Dublin team to what we maybe have been used to in recent times. Regardless of the results, he strikes me as someone Dublin needs at the moment. He's a proven winner, as you said, two Ashburn Cup titles, plenty of clubs. A Kilkenny connection we'll get to in a moment too as well. But you said it there, Dublin have been a pure basket case. 2017 All-Ireland semi-final, they played Kilkenny that day. We thought the Dublin game in Dublin was going to drive. They lost to Galway in the quarterfinal the following year. They've done really nothing since. There was lots of changes in management last year. They lost all their competitive games. Disappointing 11-point loss to Clare in the end. They really need to turn this around or the game could fall well behind football yeah, there's no doubt. But the, you know, somebody has obviously uh, got to grips with it in Dublin. They've put the hand on the nettle and they've uh, gone all out for probably, I would say, outside of the top three, uh, top four managers. Maybe is a guy that's up and coming. There's no, there's no question about it. And you know, when when he's winning the amount of Ashburn Cups that he has won and has led, uh, you know, I, 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 now some people might say, well, sure, look at the quality of the UL sides and whatever. But in fairness, you know, Adrian has proven himself, and he's proven himself in Thomastown as well uh, with what he's achieved with them there went in as he called it himself I would imagine into a bit of a lion's den and has been able to uh, come out of it so far uh, smelling quite well you know with that with what he's leading possibly for 2020 Thomastown too he could have some year uh, yet uh, with, with regards to both Thomastown and Dublin but I would write this guy off at the pearl and I would write Dublin off now a little bit at the pearl there definitely could be a bit of a dark horse if things have come together if he's been able to knit everything together and by the way uh, Darren I'm here not to know with Dublin with regards to uh, the scenario that you might pick up little tidbits here or there they're keeping very very stum so maybe there's a scenario there that they could be a little bit under the radar and if it's not in the league we might see something crop up in the championship now I would imagine you know knowing Adrian the way he might operate Dublin are going to have to make a step he's going to have to see something come from them this year a, a, you know a big win or some kind of statement or something like that I would imagine to be knocking around again next year he's a guy I would imagine would be on the radar of uh, many men's clubs and men's maybe inter-county setup. So he's not going to hang around if he feels it's not going in the right direction. I think, though, he'll have this Dublin team well-primed and, uh, you know, anything is possible. You just mentioned there Thomastown, of course. He's waiting to see what's going on with that as well. He's insight into Kilkenny as well. He's been involved in the North Ireland minor winning Kilkenny setup and an intermediate setup as well, if I'm correct too. So, like, if there's a shot gone, he's definitely the man that will have all the information to try and provide it. Oh, there's no about it about it. He's uh, he's going to have a little bit of insider information there, and uh, I'd imagine there'll be a bit of banter on the line with the Farrells and so forth. But uh, yeah, he he has, as he said again, the you know the bit of track record and everything like that behind him. He's going to have a little bit of knowledge. And that, that might be something, you know, that Brian Dowling will have to factor as well, that uh, what 
this Dublin setup, as I said, might be just a little bit different of what they've been expecting before. But knowing Brian Dowling and what he's brought to the game and how he put himself forward as an inter-county manager, uh, definitely in the last year. Although obviously we got to, we would have known him as a coach uh, in the, in the previous year, but. He definitely is a man that has uh, went on to claim manager of the year. Just goes to show you as well his ultimate ability. So um, I think he'll see a little bit of Adrian O'Sullivan in himself, if you understand me, with where maybe he's coming from. So I, I don't think, uh, I, and I don't expect Brian, Os- or Brian Dowling to be blindsided in any way by Adrian on, on this coming uh, weekend. But uh, this game might be a little bit closer than we think. A quick question on Kilkenny. You mentioned Brian Dowling and Dalton is gone. The Farrells uh, stepped up their influence, making as the captain this year too. It's a big year for Kilkenny and they'll definitely want to uh, drive on from last year's All-Ireland success. Yeah, well, again, it's an element of that, you know, they lost uh, four and then they go and win the, the, the title there last year when maybe people... We're kind of saying, yeah, they're in the hunt, but probably weren't for a lot of people the favourites to win the title. You know, they, 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 it was Cork and Galway seemed to be a lot of talk for a lot of people. The Cats were obviously going to be in there, but like how impressive they ultimately were in that All-Ireland final and how they ultimately came on to win the title. So I would think Brian, Tommy, all the guys there in the background are kind of looking at this as if to say, right, we need to be considered then a great team and you're putting your titles back to back. They're, uh, to me, no doubt about it, that's what the target is. They're not hanging around and clapping each other on the back so Brian Dowling nice guy comes across very well very well spoken learned bloke good coach and like that but I reckon there's a bit of a dark art behind that guy he'll know everything possible to win another All-Ireland title and you just got to have to see how ruthless is him is he to be able to make decisions that he did to push Grace Waltz into the middle of the field you know for an All-Ireland final to bring on Kelly Ann Doyle who had suffered a cruciate ligament uh, uh, injury down in Cork uh, just before the first lockdown and day to maximise themselves that ultimately see Kilkenny to victory despite the fact that Galway might have been putting the squeeze on Ann Dalton and Denise Gall just goes to show you the coaching ability and uh, the backroom team that he has in place there that they know their players so well Before I get your prediction Killian of course Brian also brought you young players you've talked, mentioned a couple of them there as well one person who knows the underage setups in both Dublin and Kilkenny is Brian Brophy he was in the under 16 management team in Dublin last year he's in the minor Kilkenny management this year with Seamus Kelly he gives us his thoughts on the game and also how the current fixtures impasse and the potential calendar will affect the inter-county underage scene I like listening sports says because I like to listen to Ladies football and ladies camogie. Now I'm delighted to be joined by Lucan Sarsfield's coach Brian Brophy as we look at the, going back to the current calendar situation, but also how the underage camogie game, especially in intercounty, has been affected. Because Brian, uh, we're halfway nearly during 2021, and we, it's a long time since we fired the random match here and there. We've seen action at under 16 or minor level, and of course with all the uncertainty about calendars at the moment, this is not good for our underage players, and hopefully it gets resolved very very quickly. Yes, well, the sooner it gets resolved one way or the other, the better. Obviously, under both proposals, the under-16s are due to start in June, uh, which is very, very short notice altogether for all the managers or coaches involved right around the country. And then, obviously, on the minor, it could be, I think, July or maybe October. So, obviously, again, they have to plan out their season accordingly, whatever way the vote goes. We know that the Camogie Association had to wait for government advice, which has only come in the last week, and hence there seems to be a lot of rushing going on to sort things out. But you just made a good point there. You were involved with the Dublin under 16s last year, involved with the Kilkenny Miners this year as well. You have a strong interest in the development of the game at underage level. It, like The time to go look at players is just not there. No, well, I say I was involved with Dublin 16s last year, Kilkenny 16s this year. Sorry. Um, like five weeks to play your first game. Uh, I know in Kilkenny we start trials uh, on Wednesday night. You know, we have to trial girls. So, you know, we've had to limit that now to two weeks. And then to pick a panel, obviously, to work with them to find out whoever we will be playing. Last year with Dublin, it, it was terrible altogether. Like, we'd one friendly game against our minors. And even when we played that game, we played with a lot, without a lot of the girls because we actually had a friendly arrange the next day against Tipperary. So we kind of two panels... So when we played our first and one and only game, that team never actually played a game together. But look, it's the world we're living in at the minute with the pandemic. So, I mean, to try and organise, no matter what county you're in, is 
especially at under 16 now, would be very, very hard. The only upside is it looks like we will actually play. That's the one good thing. It looks like, you know, in June, you have a good chance of playing. But it is hard. It is very hard. I, I don't understand because 16s can't play inter-county senior. Why maybe they didn't put put that in to, at, at October time. But look, it is what it is and we just have to drive on. Because, like, there's a lot of talk and, of course, the results could be known by the time this podcast goes out about the split season at adult level. Do you feel that the under-16 and minor need to follow that? I know there's an inter, interlink of players between minor and, and adult teams in particular and the odd one is under-16, but not as many, but... Can the under-16 and minor be left till later in the year if the adults split season comes in? I think I, I think they can. I think in very few counties you would see under-16s also on the minor team. In some counties, that happened. I, I know last year we, very early on, had played Leash in, in, in a friendly and 16s and the manager said three of them were with their minors that day. I wouldn't see any Dublin 16s on the Dublin minor team or probably the Kilkenny 16s maybe on the Kilkenny minor team or Cork in the bigger counties. There may be there may be an exceptional player in Galway or wherever, but generally speaking, I wouldn't think so. I think, look, the pandemic that we're in, I think you should be just playing on the one team until this is sorted out. So you're under 16, you play for the 16s, the minors or the senior, whatever it is, but you play for one team. I think that would help an awful lot of but even as you mentioned there too, like adult teams will know each other, but you just give an example with the Kilkenny under-16s that you're trying to get to know players. And it's very hard to judge it off. Of course, they're completely different ages trying to judge it off under 14 two years ago and there's no under-15 after to really look at as well. Are we doing our underage players any favours here by trying to rush this championship through even if a split season comes in? Probably not, if I'm being honest. I mean, it's, it's terrible hard for girls who put themselves forward in whatever county they go for. And now, like I say, in Kilkenny, we've had to condense it into two weeks. I don't know what other counties are doing, but I'd imagine it's something similar if you're going to try and work with a panel at all. And there may be girls just a bit unlucky not to get picked on the particular night. And like I said, I can't see why it wouldn't have went out to October, the under-16s, because last year with Dublin, we actually played the one and only match in October against Kilkenny, ironically. But that was the only, it was only one round of fixtures played in the under 16. So again, I don't see why they've put 16s in both options at the same time. I, I've been trying to understand that and I don't. But if you'd have said to us last year, well, this is it, it's this or nothing. And I think that's the way it is now. It's this or nothing. I'll ask you about what you've seen in the Kilkenny and Dublin development in a moment, but I suppose one of the arguments that was put out last year for no All-Ireland Minor Championship was the, the Tier 2, the Tier 3 counties that probably depend on these players more, but we probably would be doing them a favour if the in underage championships didn't clash with their adult competitions, regardless of what way the calendar goes. And those players might thrive more, as you said, by playing just for one team in a way and also maybe getting some summer action with the club. Yes, I think so. If they, we just, I've always said in any sport, you can only play under the age once you're under the age. So you can only play under 14 once you're under 14. You can play senior till you're 44. <laughs> but you're still good enough at that stage, but you'll never be able to go back. You'll never be able to go back and play under 14 once you're 15. So for me, you should stay. Now, as an example, I can understand the other side of it. A couple of years ago, I actually went to watch a minor match between Offaly and Antrim. And as a blind man, would have picked out Roshi McCormack and Maeve Kelly on that day down in Offaly. So I could see that those girls would be swiftly onto the the Antrim senior team, anybody who was at the game. So I do get it that they'd be outstanding players. And uh, while in other counties, those girls might take a little longer to make the breakthrough. But I think where we are now, and everybody's talking about dual players and, you know, not overburdening players, I think let them play in their age once they're the age and then on they go from there. We understand at club level that some clubs are going to depend on these players and they're naturally talented, like say the Antrim example you gave, they were rushing and maybe they'll depend on them. But do you feel that at inter-county level, 
that the Antrums or even if you take current Division 4 teams like Roscommon or Mayo, Loud, Cavan, Wicklow, Tyrone would benefit more by leaving them with one team, not interacting the players and let them develop at their own pace? Yes, I think so. It is a hard one if you've got a girl that's way better than maybe her peers that she's playing with at her age and you might want to challenge her and push her on. But like girls, when you think about it, there won't be too many 16-year-old boys who will play senior hurling for their clubs. But you'll see it with 16-year-old girls. Like, it only goes to 16. Like, here in Dublin, there's only the minor championship really doesn't happen till the end of the year. And you have a team up to 16, and then they could be split and dependent on the club. Lucan's such a big club. Like, last year, there was four senior teams. So they, they go on to four different teams. They don't get to stay together up until they're minor, which I think is a shame here. They're, they're automatically put into the senior. Where the boys, you really don't see that. They'll go to the minor and, and work their way up. Two counties that you know an awful lot about, you've mentioned them, of course, are Dublin and Kilkenny. I'll get your prediction on the National League in a moment. From what you've seen from both counties, obviously you're a Dublin man yourself, but what, you, what you've seen, is enough being done those counties or either county to bring those young players through to create a more vibrant future? I think in Dublin, we have a hell of a lot to do at the underage level to make the girls choose Camogie number one because a lot of them are good at football or Camogie or hockey or soccer or swimming, running. There's a lot of competition maybe to get them for the better ones to choose Camogie. And I really think at the 14, 15, 16 age group, we have to really work hard, get some sort of academy system in place and get good people to work with them, to bring them through, to supply the senior manager in Dublin with the quality of player required to compete against what we call the traditional counties or what's known as the big three. And to be fair, Tipperary are very close. I, I would call it a four. I think they've made big strides in the last few years. Like, I think they put three minors in the first league match last year down against Limerick in that controversial game. And I think they're doing well there and they're bringing them along. But in Dublin, a lot of work has, has to be done. There's good people, I think, there at the top. They want it, but the structures certainly for the 13s, 14s, 15s, the early years, to me, are not there at the moment. That's where you've got to go. Well, it wouldn't necessarily be remiss. Could Adrian O'Sullivan have an influence on that? He's he's proven himself with college teams in particular and he's he's been involved with successful minor teams. I know he's the senior manager, but can he influence an improvement in that that could benefit Dublin in years to come? Well, I think ultimately, I think for him, if he wants to be so successful, that's what will have to happen. It's very hard for him. He's just coming in as a senior manager and he's like everybody else. That senior is all about results. He's to hit the ground running. So I'd say he's enough on his plate without maybe worrying what's behind. I think really it's more for maybe the board and people there to, you know, get a group of people together to really go and drive it. And even if you take the Kenny hurling at the moment now, they've DJ in. I mean, where they were brilliant and brought everybody through and those great, great players and the icons of the game, they all came through. Some of them now are getting back involved. And they're trying to rebuild their underage structure. And, it, it, you know, it's where the stars of the future come from, ultimately. And to me in Dublin, they, that's where they have, they, have, they have to do it. Because I just don't think, I'd love to see it, but I just don't see maybe at the moment breaking into that top four anyway, what's, what's there. So it, you have to look for what's coming behind I think that's what you should do, a bit of a plan over a few years. And from what you've seen in Kilkenny, has the difference been evident and can lessons be taken from the way Kilkenny do business? Like there on the turn of the last decade, they were winning minors and under-16s for fun and a lot of those players are their, are their key senior players now. Well, ironically, Kilkenny haven't won an under-16 since 2008 after winning four in a row. Mm. And the current Kilkenny senior 
players, I won't call them the elder states women of it at the moment, would say the Katie Powers and the Collect Armors, we had a Zoom meeting and, you know, they spoke brilliantly about how so much they enjoyed their time and winning then and they spoke to all the girls that are coming in for the trials and it was it, it, it was brilliant and uh, with Brian Dowling and, um, you know, he laid out a plan there you know, 16s, 18s, minors, inter, minor inter to, to, to senior. And uh, I've never met Brian Dowling. I never spoke to him. I just sat in on the Zoom that he gave. But I, it was very, I found it very inspiring if I was a girl in listening to it anyway. You know, I'd say everybody is certainly pulling in the right direction there. And while they haven't been really successful at minor, say, or 16s for the past few years, they still seem to breed them. There's girls there. Like, again, wouldn't mention names, but there always seems to be girls there coming through. It's probably just a tradition. Cork and Galway have been the standouts in whatever they're doing at underage level there. The people working with them in both those counties. I mean, Galway, I think, won four in a row at under 16. So they just didn't have one team. They four, you know, okay, some girls may have played twice. Hats off to them. And in 2019, Cork won 14, 15, 16, and minor. So again, hats off to the people. That's good going. So there's people doing great work there right right through in those counties. And the same, you, you know, Tipperary always come with a team. And again, their minor team of two years ago, I think, Claire shocked them. I think in the semi-final would be fair to say, that was a good Tipperary minor. I saw that Tipperary minor team, and now you're seeing them come to the senior team. It may be not about winning under 15 or under 16 and maybe minor, but you certainly need to be competitive in and around the semi-finals, anyway, finals, you know, and bring girls through. And they are stars of the future and hopefully they had a good proper crack at a championship this year. Brian, we'll be talking plenty during the year when the championships are up and running and, and seeing how developments go. Before I let you go, seeing you are from Dublin and you know the Dublin setup and you know the Kilkenny setup, who do, who's going to win the league match on Saturday between Kilkenny and Dublin? And 100% of our listeners think it's Kilkenny. Can Dublin blow a shock? Oh, yes, I think they can. I can't see <laughs> Of course they can, or otherwise none of us would play sport. Uh, will they is is another matter. I know. I think eight Kilkenny. Uh, I think not eight have, have stepped back. Nine have stepped up. I don't know anything. Uh, I know some of the players obviously that are in with Dublin, but again, as a new manager, so I mean the composition of the teams. Who knows what it's going to be on Saturday? And I don't think for either maybe the game, the result of the game. Probably be more important for Dublin, I would think, probably than Kilkenny, due to the fact that I think Dublin haven't beaten the top four teams since maybe, I can't remember. And from that point of view, I think it would really give a great start to the new management in Dublin if they could go down and, and beat Kilkenny. But look, the composition of the teams and how they're approaching it, I honestly wouldn't know from either side. Because there's only a group of three, I think, off the air, the other ones in. And two, I think two qualify. They've a lot of players to see and get through both management. So look, I, I really wouldn't know how they view it, but nobody wants to lose a game when you go out to play, whatever you're playing in. And that was Brian Brophy giving his thoughts on Kilkenny in Dublin. Killian, we'll move on quickly. First, your overall prediction, is it a Kilkenny win or are you going to predict a shock? <laughs> I, again, I wouldn't be surprised if you were to hear of a shot coming. I don't see it happening, though, because I think the, the cats on their home ground and whatever, they'll strike Dublin early to see what they're made of. And then it'll be interesting to see what Dublin are made of if they concede goal in the early, say, five, ten minutes or thereabouts, uh, Darren. I think the cats are the team this year that everyone has got to be able to knock off the perch. Um, they tend to be a, a team, as we've seen over the years, that if they get up there, they like to be able to stay there. And, um, you know, I think Brian... And, 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 and his backroom team will have them well marshaled. Now, Anne Dalton is going to be a loss. When you lose somebody of that calibre, it's going to be obviously a big loss around the dressing room and so forth. But I would imagine there's plenty of other leaders there to step up. And, um, you know, you have certain quality players, a strong central spine. And I think you're really going to see the Farrells this year um, really come into their own. 
And, uh, you know, with the captaincy and everything with them and Thomastown going so well, we could see Anna and Megan really, really start to show off on the field of play of the undoubted ability that they have and that we know that they've always had. I just think they're going to step into the leadership role that little bit more. And that could be a danger to all the other teams. Two o'clock on Saturday in John Locks and Callan Kilkenny against Dublin. The other Division One games, two o'clock in Kenny Park at Rye also on Saturday. Galway against Clare. Killing the quick word in the other game will be featuring us in the big match with Mary Newman and Geraldine Canan on Thursday night. Porky Queeve, Cork against Tipperary. Some people thought it might be in last year's league final. Clare people will disagree with that. A big test for both teams to kick off the year. Big test indeed, and that's the game uh, that I hope to be on in Porky Cueve on uh, Saturday afternoon at 2 o'clock. Uh, we'll be streaming uh, that clash, including the game in uh, Galway. But uh, yeah, Cork and Tipperary is the game that uh, you really have to plumb for. Down in Porky Cueve, the fine pitch that it is, fine open space. Uh, I think it'll suit both teams, but a Cork team that obviously are an injured team, I think a little bit from last year. But what has Paddy done? Has he spent the winter trying to find a couple of new players? Are we going to see a new zest for life in the forwards? Uh, uh, you know, somebody to take the pressure off the likes of Orla Cronin and Amy O'Connor. That's what I think Cork need because I think they have everything else. It's when they get then into the forward line that maybe some of their issues have been there. Tipperary, some of their uh, bonuses last year were obviously in defence. You got to, to see, you know, the likes of Mary Ryan and Karen Kennedy and everything that they, they backed up with uh, uh, along, along those lines. And, uh, you know, you got to then maybe make mention of a, a lady that was probably unlucky to miss out in an all-star cut the van that she will always be uh, knocking scores over. This game could be quite open. I think we're going to see it a little bit similar to maybe how we saw the hurling at the weekend. I think we're going to see open games maybe here in the, op- in the opening round anyway. Uh, I'd be very surprised if um, tactically everything going this fall in. We're probably going to see a few changes of players and personnel and things like that. But uh, this game could go either way. There's no doubt about it. I'm sure Bill Milani feels that tip, you know, a little bit unlucky not to be able to get to play that uh, league final uh, from last year, uh, Darren, they have a, a little point of mission to prove and also maybe that they didn't cover themselves completely in glory uh, in the in the, in the the All-Ireland series, ultimately at the end that they maybe just felt that they fell away. So look at it, uh, I, I think that this game will be quite close and um, maybe I'm just going to put my neck on the line here a little bit and say I think tip if the tip of last year turn up, I think Tip could take a victory in Parky Cuevans on, on Saturday. It's a big year for Tipperary, and we'll be talking more about it on Thursday night. And also, catch the fair green sports stars Amy O'Connor, last year's Cork Camogie captain. She's this week's special guest on the fair green. That's now available in sportsstars.ie. Uh, Killian, I know we've well overrun. Let's talk quickly about the, our featured match in Division 2, a repeat of last year's All Ireland Intermediate Final. Down, what a great year they had, but we saw great strides in Antrim as well. Yeah, great strides in Antrim and hearing a little bit of uh, a word that they've brought back a couple of uh, uh, key players uh, to, to the setup. Leisha McKenna, Anna Conley, Roisin Kelly weren't available last autumn. Ball being uh, back in regulars over the last year were even in the league, of course, last year. Shauna Devlin is back after four years out. She had a baby. She's back in uh, chomping at the bit, I would imagine, from an Antrim point of view. Down, not hearing a whole lot out of the Moran County. Derek Donovs, we know, back in, uh, in Harness. Uh, Fee Carr not involved not playing not even in the back room I'm sure she's not too far away though in some <laughs> cases you know but a down set up as well that I would have felt coming into senior championship action that they could be a team that could cause a little bit of a surprise I don't expect down to be a team that will go up but to come straight back down I think that I'd say expect to see them in the senior championship that's why I think I feel they will have a step on down they had it in the All-Ireland final I think or they'll have a step on Antrim I should say they had it in the All-Ireland final and I still think they'll have it uh, this coming uh, weekend but I do think Antrim might be buoyed by the fact that they got to the All-Ireland final maybe they might shake off the shackles of having to worry about some of the second teams that they'll have to face down along the road and maybe have a cut off this Darren in some ways I still think down will come out on top though you agree with 53% of our followers. They win for down 42%, Antrim 5% to draw. Antrim are gearing for an Ireland Intermediate campaign later in the year, but for down, they're playing senior right decision. They'll need to have a good league one. They'll be targeting the league as well, won't they? 
yeah, well, I would imagine they'll be looking to get out of Division 2 if they can uh, to kind of back up what they'll have at Senior Championship. There's there's no point, uh, I think, for them staying too long in Division 2 and trying to back that up then at Senior Championship level. They they have to get up there. They have to be playing among the, the big guns and on a regular basis then so that when they're facing them at Championship level, they know what's coming. They can't be, you know, coming in off a Division 2 campaign and then to be completely rocked back by what they, what they achieve. I'd imagine they'll be well prepped for that. And uh, I think they will be targeting, though, to get out of Division 2 look Darren it's going to be difficult there's no there's no question about that but maybe this is a year with the whole abbreviated league and so forth that it will be and how it comes in quick succession this might be a year for Down to be able to make that step and uh, then capitalise on that but you know look Antrim are not going to be easy and there's no easy games you would imagine in a quick run league in this regard but I would imagine Derek Dunn yeah it is a target they have to get something out of this year to keep it going then and keep the you know keep the thing trucking along if it's half as entertaining as Astros or Ireland Intermediate Final, we'll enjoy 2 o'clock on Saturday in Port Glenone. We'll have all the fixtures from Divisions 2, 3 and 4 up on sportsstats.ie during the week. Our first Sports Stats Camogie podcast and of course so much to talk about we could have gone another while, Killian. <laughs> but thanks a million for joining us as well. Um, as, as you mentioned there, you hope to be at Cork and Tipperary. I don't know exactly where I'll be yet but I certainly will be out and about and I look forward to talking to you again next Tuesday about everything that happened on the first week of the, well, hopefully everything happened in the first week of the Woods <laughs> National Camogie League and looking forward to round two. Yeah, great, Darren. And thanks, Steve, for asking me to join your All-Ireland award-winning team. It's great to be here and look forward to it throughout the season. Hopefully we're an All-Ireland winning combination at the end of the year. <laughs>